0: This is the Negro League podcast with Preach James. Ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? This is the Negro League Podcast. So go by the name of Preach Jacobs. We are sponsored by Mo Better Soul. Check us out at mobettersoul.bigcartel.com and use the code NEGRO to save 10% on your next order. Get yourself some fly t-shirts, some coffee mugs, some hats. There's actually a mug with my fucking face on it. So enjoy, enjoy. We also have Negro League t-shirts on the website on there as well. Once again, it's at mobettersoul.bigcartel.com. Code NEGRO to save 10%. It's been a really, really cool week. Um, this is a cool episode, man. We got a, my first interview on here, man. The brother found out how to <laughs> record phone conversations, and and um, I'm really excited to have my homeboy, uh, Christopher Everett, who is a producer and director of a documentary called Wilmington on Fire, which talks about the Wilmington Massacre of 1898, um, where it's a bunch of black folks that was attacked by a mob of white folks mob <laughs> of white people with the Democratic uh, Party back in the day. Sort of kind of like, uh, imagine uh, Rosewood, but actually a lot closer to where I was. Um, uh, he's on the podcast, uh, along with Intume Gant, uh, another filmmaker, and they're working together on a project called I Don't Live Today, uh, which is a combination of talking about being a black artist in America, dealing with all these things that we have to go through, whether it's depression, anxiety, sexuality, trying to figure ourselves out with, with what we're trying to do. And um, we have a great campaign trying to raise money to shoot this feature film. And I talked to these brothers um, later on in the podcast. So please, please, please stick around for that. Um, we also have the link that if you want to donate to their cause, they're trying to, they're trying to raise forty k to shoot the movie. Uh, it's at seedandspart.com slash fund slash IDLT film. If you want to put some money up, I think it goes on until October the 17th. We'll have the link and everything like that also in a description with the podcast uh, on Apple Podcast. So, yeah, the interview is coming up. I just kind of wanted to cover a couple of things early on, talk about the week. Uh, thank you guys for, for checking it out. Um, damn, what's been up? I was out of town last night. Had a show. Uh, went very very well. I think the night before, yeah yeah yeah, man. The Quincy Jones documentary came out, and it was pretty incredible, right? It came on came on Netflix, and and you kind of just have the ability to appreciate the greatness of this dude and what he was able to do as far as like cross pollinate with all these genres. And I know, uh, at some point in time, I'm going to bring Bobby Bland back onto the podcast. so We could talk more in depth because like, we were just on the phone like, nigga, right. The, the, there was a moment in the documentary. There's no spoiler alert or anything like that. Where Quincy walks into the African American, um, museum, uh, in DC and he's in this room full of all of these like displays of all these people that that basically had a name in black music in America right from Michael Jackson to Duke Ellington to Count Basie and he knows everybody he knew everybody and and I get afraid when I see stuff like this because I just feel like you know it might mean that he's on the way out. You know what I mean? And I, and I say that lovingly, right? Like anytime we see one of these things where we, we're just late to the party, right? Where where the Ray Charles movie came out, Ray passed away. Um, the Nelson Mandela movie comes out, Nelson Mandela passes away. So like seeing him and then the movie kind of starts off with him having a stroke and it's like, oh gosh. So I don't know what I would do without Quincy. What I do know is I think that we need to kind of like give these people their flowers where they can smell them, Um the only thing about the documentary is like I, I think it was well done. It was done by Rashida, his his uh, daughter. I'm like, this shit could have gotten the HBO treatment where they have like a four part documentary series where it could be like two hours. Like like this should been an episode just dedicated to Thriller, right? <laughs> right? Just just those stories. Uh, episode dedicated to his relationship with Sinatra, and it still wouldn't be enough. So I, I think that um the question of who's that guy that that's going to be the next Quincy Jones is able to to take that baton and run with it. Um, And I had a sad thought right Not to bring him back up Because he gets on my fucking nerves right now But it's like, man, Kanye kind of had that trajectory When he was like that nigga When he came out and he was doing a lot of this great stuff You could kind of see him having that That ability to be in this uh, This realm of production and, and bringing people together But at this point now, I don't know So the next Quincy Jones needs to stand up Um, I was Very, 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 very impressed with that Um what else has been going on? I don't know, man. Like I've been I've been under a fucking rock, man. Um working on some new music, uh writing some new shit. Uh going to be some surprises with that coming up soon. I think that's I think that's all I've been paying attention to, man. Like I, I haven't been watching the NFL, you know. I, I I listen to like ESPN uh like Sports Center and 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 First Take and shit like that. So I hear people talk about it. And that's the thing about it. Like I don't think it's being uh hypocritical to be like, well, niggas ain't, you know, niggas claim they ain't watching football or what you doing watching highlights. Man, it's two different things. Like, number one, it's like it's not like I don't support the black people that have to work, right? Like, I still root for those guys. I'm still happy that they do well. It's just that I don't even say I'm boycotting the NFL. I'm just disengaging, you know. And in saying that, there's two teams that are talking about bringing Kaepernick in. So we'll see what happens with that. I think it's the Raiders and the Patriots are, are on the list of people that want to bring Cap in. So if that happens, great then disengagement would be over i'll be back and watch it but yeah the, the funny shit about it like you know uh speaking of the nfl it's like the nfl is uh, uh going to have the super bowl in atlanta <laughs> you know right and everybody was campaigning kind of like yo uh uh need to be on this shit we want outcast and, and and two chains and all these atlanta based artists and even bruno mars was going on twitter saying yo we need to get atlanta musicians here you know and maroon 5 is playing and it's kind of like this disconnect that the NFL has, right? And I looked at it a couple of ways. Here's what I, here's what I thought. I thought, number one, if the NFL cares about one thing, they care about their perceived uh, uh, you know, reputation, right? They, they care about how they look. So think about how bad this looks when Jay says in an interview, like, yo, you know, the NFL – uh, wanted me to to do the Super Bowl. And I said, nah, I'm good. So imagine the NFL going to Outkast, outcast, offering them the Super Bowl, and in solidarity with what's going on, they say, nah, fuck this, right? That'd be a bigger blow to the NFL than them getting an artist that probably won't make sense to perform it, right? Then on top of this, <laughs> when I laughed at myself, I was telling my friend about this. It's like, yo, man, Could you imagine the fear the NFL has if they're afraid about this Kaepernick shit that you do this black ass Super Bowl halftime show in Atlanta? Kaepernick is going to come out. (laughs) <laughs> he gonna come out with martin luther king kids <laughs> the big old nike banner is gonna fall down with the at aliens album cover coming out big dog oh, it'll be a black as fuck show and it's like if there's anything that they want to kind of do is like know what's coming before it happens so like the nfl is like terrified so it's like let's just get somebody that's safe god damn it you know so in those regards i kind of understand the nfl's take on this one actually like it you know it's like we can't be mad they're not getting outcast because like you niggas like me are disengaged. So so we're disengaged because they're tone deaf about what's going on. So what, they're going to all of a sudden be on the page of of getting the right black ass acts for something like this? No. So, you know, it's all good. Maroon 5, have fun. Do your thing. Um, I think that's about it uh, that's been going on. The They're still trying to push through Kavanaugh with the Supreme Court uh nominations or or he's going through the, the, the Senate hearings and all that stuff and, and let's just hope that he doesn't get there. There was uh, a woman that accused him of sexual misconduct or let's say a rape allegation that happened when, when they were teenagers and as I speak now, there's been a second allegation to come out. So please, let's keep this motherfucker from getting into Supreme Court. Um Other than that, Tiger wins another... <laughs> Another major who he hasn't won in since uh, what twenty thirteen. So shout out to Tiger Woods. I, I guess uh we cool with him again. Um have I seen anything? Yeah. I saw Predator. The movie was fucking terrible. It was awful. It was terrible, it was awful. And um Lord Jesus, I got a story behind that. I'll get to tell that probably in the next podcast since we got this interview that's coming up after this. But yeah. So I got a story about the <laughs> the Predator situation. And it's a story about us, you know, niggas, your homies and and, and what they're doing and not doing. And just kinda just wanting to grow up, man. I'm telling you, man, I don't don't want to be miserable, don't want to be old and, and shaking my fists at the world, you know? So I'm gonna touch on that a little bit later. Um, Then it's been some blowback over that whole Cat Williams thing since the last episode where, like, Kevin Hart has come back and he kind of uh, read the riot act on The Breakfast Club, kind of going at Cat. And now you got, uh, what's her name, Leslie Jones saying that, like, (laughs) Cat Williams and Kevin Hart need to keep their names out of their mouths unless they're eating her pussy, which is wow, right? (laughs) It's like all these comedians are just fighting shit. It's like, man, all that shit is corny. All of it is corny. Ugh. Like, hearing rich niggas complain about dumb shit is just so corny to me. Like, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'm not going to hold this shit up, man. Uh, once again, this Negro League Podcast. we got this interview coming up. Hope you guys dig it. Hope you guys appreciate it. Once again, um, you're going to hear my guys, Christopher Everett and Tumay Gant, talk about the new film, I Don't Live Today, um, all the information to support this. If you listen to this, it'll be in the description. Also, the information if you want to save ten percent on your next purchase on morebettersoul.bigcartel.com code Dgro. Interview coming up next. Thank you guys for listening. Peace. So yeah. So what I'm seeing when you guys are doing is really really dope. And and Chris, I've been trying to get you on no. here for a while. So I'm glad that we could we can do this. So yeah, no so yeah. Mm. So um yeah, I guess uh, I'll just start. I'll just start running, and uh, we'll just kind of go with it. So, um, cool. Yeah. All right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, what's ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? This is the Negro League Podcast. I go by the name of Preach Jacobs, and um this is one of our first episodes. We got a couple of guests in this motherfucker, motherfucker. We're excited um, to talk about black filmmaking and black stories and people to be able to tell. And and communicate our history and our past and and guys, I, I need everybody that's listening to, to to give us or give me uh, some time to kind of figure this out because it's the first time we're doing a phone interview. I'm trying to feel all professional like I'm on NPR or something. And so uh, <laughs> we're excited to introduce the homie Christopher Everett, who is the man behind the film Wilmington on Fire. And we have Mtume Grant. Did I say that correctly? Is it Gantt?
1: Gantt, G okay. G N
0: T. All right, Gant. I want to make sure I get that right. I want to make sure to get that right. Um, cool. But they are working on uh, a f- full feature project that we're going to talk about. A film called "I Don't Live Today," um, which I think is pretty dope. I, I'm looking at what you're trying to do with the crowdsourcing, um, we'll put the link in the in the bio for the podcast. But if you guys have the address for the link, you guys want to give it for people want to donate some money towards the project.
1: Yeah, um, you know, let me locate that and have it in front of me. But I can look that up. Or do you do? You, do you have it in front of you, Chris?
2: Yeah, yeah, here it is, right here. So, um, if everyone would just go to spark dot com, the seed, S E E D, A N D S P A, R K dot com, slash fund slash I-D-L, just go to stevenspark.com and type in I don't live today,
0: it'll pop up. All right, yeah, well, I'm excited, man. Um, so let's first of all, Christopher, let's my, my introduction to you and what you were working on, right? Was um, Wilmington on fire, and yeah. it was a feature that you did, it was about the, the Wilmington massacre in 1898. Tell, uh, tell the people listening, um, what was that all about and what got you into that, that story to tell.
2: Well, man, Wilmington on Fire, you know, it's pretty much about the um, the 1898 Wilmington Massacre, uh, one of the the first um, coup d'etats that's ever happened in America. And a coup d'etat is an actual overthrow of an existing government. And it actually happened in North Carolina, in Wilmington, North Carolina, on November 10th, 1898. So the film pretty much chronicles that whole event, you know, from start to finish, and also really shows the impact not only on the city of Wilmington, but the whole state of North Carolina as well. And um <clears throat> it was about a five year project, man. You know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears, you know, a lot of grinding. <clears throat> but I was able to connect with people like Marcus. You know Marcus, right? Marcus Kaiser. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's the homie Kaiser. What's yeah, up, Marcus?
2: yeah. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> and also we linked up with Marcus with I Don't Live Today as well. He's done a lot of promo stuff for us. So, you know, linking up with people like Marcus and <clears throat> and other, you know, talented individuals. You know, to put this thing together, man, and really put the story out. And it's been out for about three years now. And we're constantly nonstop, you know, selling out screenings, you know, still to this day. So what, the, reception, the reception of it has been great. What made you want
0: to tell that story?
2: I would say, man, it was like around 2007 when I first heard about it. And they were doing a special on TV. I think it was like TV One. They were showing like Rosewood. And I think com, the people on TV One, they did like a special blog post about, you know, different racial massacres in America. And they mentioned Wilmington. And I was like, wow, I never heard about that. And let me research that even more. So I just did my own research. And also started knowing did a film on it, especially a documentary. So I said, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to start making, you know, films. And I want to start, you know, telling our own stories. So I said, you know what? Why not? Let me try this out and see what I can do with it. And that's what kind of led me to doing Woman to the Fire.
0: I'm I'm wondering, like, when when we're telling stories like that, like it's, you know, if I wanted to do a documentary on something that's modern, it's like a pain in the ass. I'm wondering, like, how would you go about trying to to go and tell a story that's like, you know, uh, over 100 years old? And speaking of like, coups. Um, there was a slave rebellion here in South Carolina called the Stono Rebellion yeah. that happened. in um, damn, where was it? It was in 1739. I think it was in, was it in Charleston? I'm not sure if it was in Charleston, but a lot of, um, a lot of the stuff that came after, um, the rebellion, basically like stop before Amistad, but it happened yeah. here. Um, you know, the idea of saying, Oh, slaves can't learn to read and they can't learn how to write that happened after this because yeah. they were like educated, uh, enslaved people figuring out, all right, here's how we need to come together and and, and take this over. And there's also like the, the gun the the gun culture in America after that, it was just like black folks can't have guns, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just one of those things that you kinda still see like living in the South. But how yeah. how did you go about researching and, and, and finding the people to talk to for the project?
2: Really man, the first person I reached out to was a brother named Larry Vinny Thomas. Um you see him he's like the Rastafarian guy in the film. And I reached out to him first I saw that he was doing a lot of research, a lot of on-the-ground stuff of actually reaching out to some of the direct descendants of some of the victims of the 1898 massacre. So I started with him, man, and he really kind of hooked me up with a lot of other folks, you know, different historians and, and scholars and and people like that, descendants, that really knew the story, they knew the history. So we just, you know, created a like a little map, you know, outline of every, you know, topic and subtopic we want to hit and just made sure the story was to flow real well. So it it sounds harder (laughs) than it was, but, you know, just just the the, the history is there. You just need to know what you're looking for. So I had the right people who knew, you know, what the whole story was about. And so I also, like I said, I also had a great team as well that kind of helped me mold and craft the story. You know.
0: Well, between two of you guys, how did you guys meet? Um, if um, and two you living in New York City, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you get a ca- chance to catch up with Chris and and look up for this? Well, video? you know,
1: I mean, uh, I actually saw Wilmington on Fire at this Wilmington premiere, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was at Cuckoo Loris. Yeah, I was at Cuckoo Loris Film Festival. And um, I don't remember if I had saw the like, if I knew about it before I got there. But I remember the minute I saw, I don't know, oh, I got to see this. So I made my I made sure I got a ticket to go see that. And that was a powerful screening because like that film was literally exposing stuff that was like, you know, in the role <laughs> and yeah, I was like, exactly. and, and I'm, a, and, and I'm an outsider. So I was just like, Oh man, this is deep. So I was getting like a great piece of cinema and history, but I was also getting some immediate, like some immediate things were happening and I was seeing stuff unfold. So I thought that was very powerful. So I, I hadn't met Chris then, but then um another homie of mine, uh, Dennis, uh, Leeway Kangali who's also a homie of Chris's. I, I had realized they also knew each other. And then I think around with the three of us, a kind of conversation began to kind of happen mm-hmm. around just cinema. I know because um, Chris has been actively working on getting Dennis's film, classic film, as an act of protest, back out. And I'm in as an act of protest. I was involved in the creation of that. That film when it was done about 17 years ago, or almost 18 years ago. And um, so, yeah. So it's it's been a kind of coalescence. Of the three of us realizing we know each other, we have similar aims, and you know, as I've gone and kind of continued on, Chris has been someone that i I can look at and say yeah he he follows a similar path that I follow, right. so yeah,
0: you know it's dope, it's like I feel like right now this is like a great time for not just black stories being told, but black people being the actual ones telling them. And I had this theory, like I joke with my friends about like the, the black exploitation theory where <laughs> like, I love black dynamite. The black dynamite was one of those movies where it kind of made fun of all like, you know, the Mac and all this crazy shit. Like in the Mac, literally there was like a boom mic hanging from the ceiling in one of the scenes, but they didn't right. take it out. They didn't take it out. Right. And, and what I, and, and the black exploitation films were, they were horrible, but I loved them. There's a nostalgia to them because this was us trying to figure that shit out, right? Because there weren't right. unions where where you had black grips and 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 black directors and black producers. So like so for for it not to be perfect when it comes out, it makes a lot of sense. And I and I see what's going on now where it's like I love the ability that see black people tell their story. So it's like, you know, you look at you know, it's the past year or two where we have like the emergence of Black Panther. You have Atlanta, which is like one of my favorite shows on television right now. You know, you have Insecure. You know, you add all that type of stuff where where it's just really just black people just doing normal shit. You know what I mean? And being able to to tell those stories. I'm wondering. Um, I'm looking at like your your filmography, like between being an actor and a musician and and actually like making films there seems to be an undertone of, of dealing with being black in America. Um, could you tell us about your short film Spit and, um, and Whiteface, and how does this relate to the, the new project you guys are working on now?
1: Uh, sure. Um, Spit came out, well, I, 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 I'll start a little bit before. Um, I, I came up as an actor in New York City. Uh, I was acting as a teenager. I did a lot of movies and theater and stuff, and I also went to school and studied classical acting i uh never really loved the acting business. I still don't <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I i don't i don't I don't like the the form of it. I think it's actually naturally very oppressive like and, and it is very mean. I think it's quite hmm. mean to actors and, and what do you mean what do you mean like just you mean well like directors the idea being assholes. Is, uh, no, the, the, the whole form of, of, of the disposable person who gives their emotions. and, and these Exactly, things are based on and, and they're constantly based on arbitrary factors of everything from looks to market value to popularity to now Instagram likes. You exactly. know, I, I, The fact that I, they, can, they can pose someone as, in, as a worthy actor because they have popularity on Twitter, I'm good. I'm sorry, yeah. that's nothing to do with acting. You know, and as, I think as the years have gone on, it's gotten more absurd. So I got out of acting for a while and I got into music, uh, independent music, I think, because I thought I would find more autonomy. <laughs> and I did for a while, to be honest with you, I did for a while. Um, but as the music business changed, I think as like, especially as digital culture changed and things like things like sonic bids and 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 the things like streaming exactly kind of got into it you realize musicians while they had autonomy they didn't have a market that they controlled right so exactly. i was autonomous in the sense that i could create but i didn't have a lot of um control in how i could make myself within the market and make a sustainable life for myself so, yeah. I, but I toured as a musician for a while with groups and I had a good life, but I it it burnt out very quickly and I wanted to make movies and, uh, spit came out. I had moved to Los Angeles. I tried to get back into acting and spit kind of came out as I stopped doing music. And I was just kind of wrestling with money and commerce and capitalism. And I wrote this script in like two days. And I said, I'm going to try to make a film because films have always scared me. The money, it's the money aspect. I, I, I like that's to good. collaborate about. Yeah, films are just, so oh gosh, they're scary when it comes to money. So I said, let's get a small amount of money, shoot this film in New York and just see what happens. And it did quite well. Um, it, it went to a lot of film festivals. I was able to move it around. That was the, that's how I was able to go see Chris's film because it played at the same film festival, Kukuloris, over in Wilmington. And you know, I caught the bug after that. I said, I like this, and, and spit spit for people who don't know spit spit's about a musician who just who's kind of burnt out and he decides he wants to quit. And it's you don't know why, but you understand you don't know exactly why, but there's all these different reasons, and you're watching him at the end of his rope. So it's kind of a a tone poem about that, and I wrote that kind of purging for myself, and I think it kind of resonated with people because a lot of people I think go through that. We live in a state of confusion on how to deal with the world at large. So you know, it's
0: interesting. That, like oh, I'm sorry.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go
0: no, no, ahead. No, no, I, no. I just I just listened like when you're talking about describing spit, it's kind of like I hear this relation of artists feeling kind of like trying to get out, you know, whether it's trying to like get out yeah. of a location or get out of, of, of oppression. Um, like reading the, the description about Robertson King in in I don't live today, it's like he's like trying to get yeah. out of New York City. So I'm wondering how autobiographical totally. all these are these stories for you that you're making.
1: I think they're 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 autobiographical in the emotional sense. Like the things that I emotionally wrestle with. I wouldn't necessarily make the decisions that these characters made. Like in Spit I, I, I th- I'm I'm a little different in the sense that um I always kind of come back to it. So I um I would never fully give it all up. Mm. Uh, I would, I'm i a masochist in that way. <laughs> I, I, what, I would, what, I, what I've always done is, is I do something differently artistic. So I'll, I'll act. What acting kind of gets on my nerves, I went not started rapping. Then rapping wasn't doing it, so I started producing also. And then I kind of got tired of that a little bit, and now I got into filmmaking. And I kind of hope filmmaking is like my final frontier.
0: But we'll you know see. What? Who knows? Maybe when I, Maybe when I'm 50, I'll feel differently. Oh, stop it! Like I feel like <laughs> you make it sound like it's, you're so old, but like like it's you know the the no. person I absolutely revered growing up was Gordon Parks, and and, and right. because Gordon Gordon was the first my first view into somebody being able to do all of those things, right? Right? Like I don't know yeah. what I was watching. What was I was watching the Quincy Jones documentary the other night, right? And and mm-hmm. they were showing like all these clips. The documentary was amazing, and there was like this clip I where it just came out on friday that shit is fucking phenomenal yeah. it's fucking phenomenal yeah. but there was a part in there when quincy was talking about the color purple and it was his first oh. film that he that he produced and someone that was right. interviewing it's, it's like this footage of this, this white guy is like, What got you into wanting to produce for films? And he kind of looked at him like, Why wouldn't I? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And like this, this, this right. idea of, of when people say stay in your lane, I really hate it because I really feel like his shit that's oh, yeah. directed towards black creatives, right? Where it's just like, oh, shut up and dribble. You're supposed to just play basketball or you're supposed to play this. Right. Where where Gordon was that first person that, you know, this guy was, was doing photography for, for Life magazine. He he wrote the learning tree, that's like the Library of Congress, one of the top 50 books of all time. He was the first black director to get a major budget from a studio with the learning tree and with shaft. And it's like, yeah. I saw that and I'm like, I'm him. You know what I mean? So it's not crazy to be able to say, you know, nigga, I want to rhyme. I want to do an album. And yeah. when I don't want to do an album, I want to act. And when I don't want to act, I want to write, I want to redirect. You know, I, I, I do feel that kind of like what you said about the financial struggle that to, to, you know the cost of making a record might be a little bit cheaper than making a movie. You know what I mean. And so, like, totally, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I see you guys are looking at trying to get forty thousand. Yeah. Which, which for the for the people listening, that's still a shoestring budget to be able to yeah. make a full length feature happen. You know what yeah. I mean? And um, it's a part of our
1: budget. It's like not even the full
0: thing. It's a it's a it's a
1: part of the budget. The forty thousand that we're trying to get. You know. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I took I took a look at the page. You guys are, are up to, like, seven and some change. When I get paid on Friday, I'll, I'll donate to the cause. Um, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, I guess I got a question for you guys. It's like, how how do you guys figure out how to collaborate with specifically, right? Because you guys are both filmmakers. So, like, so it's like, there's, you know, it's like when I watch, like, Black Klansman, it says, like, Jordan Peele is a producer, you know, but, like, Spike directed. But it's like, is that does that mean that Jordan is financing it? Like, I never understood the differences between executive yeah. producer, producer, and you know what I mean? Like, so what are yeah. the roles, or does well, that even matter when it's something like this, you guys are doing everything?
2: Well, you know, they, you know, the producer can mean several different things. Like, I know I've been working on making the tr- transition to just strictly producing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I actually enjoy that better because there are more, you know, better directors than, than me out here. And I would rather for them to, you know, take, you know, heed to some of these projects. And I feel like, you know, my, my best skill set is, you know, overall development, you know, marketing distribution and stuff like that. But, you know, producer could be, you know, a bunch of things, man, it could be somebody that's just giving money for the project and they just kind of fall back and say, hey, here's the money, um, you do your thing, <laughs> you, know, another, <laughs> you know. Another producer can be just, you know, just helping with the overall development, getting financing together, getting you know helping with getting the crew, you know, helping developing the cast, everything. You know what I'm saying? So it's different things. Like with this project, I don't live today. Um, myself and um, Sean Joshi, he's um, he's the other producer. So me and him are just producers, and then two me. He's the full director and writer, and he's also a producer as well. You know what I'm saying? So we pretty much, it's like a collaborative effort, really. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, you know, gives their insight, <clears throat> whether it's for this crowdfunding campaign or, you know, casting decisions and everything. But, you know, it's in too many visions overall. You know, and we're just here to kind of back that up and support that.
0: Is there? Is there a... Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean and also like
1: in you know, it depends like when you're dealing in the independent circuit, it can it can often be like directors get a bit more autonomy. But when you're dealing with something like a studio, you know you know, like when 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 Spike took black Klansmen to Blumhouse and Peel and them, he had to follow a certain protocol and they gave Mm -hmm. him a certain kind of markers that he had to follow, Mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, as he's working in that studio, right? So Coming down to like the cut of the film, you know, like, exactly. all right, you need to do it. You need to do it in 110 minutes max, right? Or a 100 minutes max. We don't want it to be this long. So as it goes on and on, um, the producers have more, usually, the, usually the more money, the more the, um, the, the, the people around it have more power to say yeah. things about, you know, even everything to your script content you know, to who, you, who, you, who, you, who you're able to cast in your film. So, yeah, it can mean a lot of different things. And I, I, I it's, it's, and it's, it's sometimes often hard because there are producers who do make great creative choices and you sometimes never know, you know? Yeah. you know? And then there's some that like, you watch a film, you're like, oh man, that was so bad. What happened to that director? And it might've been the producers meddling too much. But right. You don't know. Right. right?
0: I'm wondering, like, what's inspiring you guys now? As far as like the the type of stuff that, like, you watch something and you like, fuck, I want to do this. You know what I mean? Or, or, or you watch something and you like, I wish I was the one telling this story. Like, what stories um, have you seen recently that's that's like really hit you and that that it gives you faith in what's going on with black filmmaking?
1: I watch a lot. I be honest, I watch a lot of movies outside of the country. Um, mm-hmm. I have, I, I, I'm a bit, I guess, uh, I would say controversial in a certain sense that like, I don't, while I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that a lot more of us are taking the reins, um, mm-hmm. of creating films. I, I'm still very worried that we're following a lot of Westernized European tropes and telling I, our own story. I,
0: I, I absolutely <laughs> agree. I agree. Yeah.
1: So as far as what's exciting me, I mean, I got my issues, you know what I'm saying? I definitely see some talented people out there. And I see some things here, man. Um but I watch a lot of stuff outside of the country to be perfectly honest with you. Like I I I'm looking at stuff from you know, and I'm the kind of person like like I tell people like I get inspired by people who just go left of everything. Yeah. So exactly. whether you're Korean, you're Latino, you are black, like just just, you know, rock it. And I, I I learn a lot from like, you know, Southeast Asian movies, man. I'm just watching stuff and so What's the, what excites me is people who are going left, right. you know, and and part of the reason why we're making I Don't Live Today, and the way we are is because like there still is a lot of constriction on how we black folk can make movies
2: exactly. in, the poly- yeah. in the
1: in 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 the cinema. So we're like, we got to do it our own way,
0: you know. Right. It's like that somehow like like studios don't think that black people have the ability to be complicated individuals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like we don't have the ability totally. to have depth, you know what I mean? And so yeah. I don't know. I I I think that's, that's, that's hilarious when I see stuff like that, where it's like, you know, it's like the conversation. I was literally having this conversation last night. I was doing a show and I was talking to somebody and it's like, it's comparative to, to me where we were talking about Kendrick Lamar and, And there's a white guy that was saying, you know, I really like the album Damn. He says, but there was something about to pimp a butterfly that really, you know, didn't sit well with me. And I said, well, it's because it was an unapologetically (laughs) black album and it wasn't for you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Kendrick kind of made an album that was kind of like, hey, here's a commercial project, but this is for us first. And so when you're listening to like the heavy jazz influences or you listen to the song All Right, like it was one of those things where it was just like, wow. You know, white people are like, I don't know if I can dance to this because, you know, he's calling us the oppressor where a where damn is kind of like a little more fluffy. You know what I mean? It's just rapping. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I feel like, you know, when when art is able to do those things, when you when you're making people kind of uncomfortable with those stories that you're telling, you know, like people get a little nervous. But I think that's when you know that you're doing the right type of of work. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's supposed totally. to. Make motherfuckers uncomfortable. It's like when people get mad about the protests. It's like what protest is supposed to make the people that need to listen comfortable. Like it has nothing right. to do with comfort, you know. Yeah,
1: that's the that's the, that's the that's the whole thing with a protest. You know, it's funny. I I was talking to somebody about that. They were talking about like the ideas of getting perm, permits for protests, and I was like, that's also kind of funny, <laughs> man. Like you're, you're you're getting you're getting a pro a permit for simple disobedience. Be like that's exactly you right, there, right? <laughs> you're asking them permission to, 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 to be civilly disobedient so there's a whole thing right there so things are things are getting commodified also like protests is becoming commodified it's like oh what the hell you know it's all yeah, it kind of funky out there
0: it's interesting that you said that because like to be honest like i was you know I, i've disengaged from the nfl i'm not i'm not watching it this season and and i've written like editorials about you know kind of supporting Kaepernick and what he was doing. And, 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 you know, white folks get mad at black folks. They always want to bring up Martin Luther King as an example. Well, Kaepernick really acted like Martin. Like he did a quiet protest, a very peaceful one. And, um, and one of the things that I read that really kind of made me think, cause like when I saw the Nike ad, I was excited. I'm like, fuck it. I'm gonna wear my Nike shit. I can't wait for the Kaepernick stuff to come out. And someone said this, maybe this wasn't the intention of Nike. But at some way, some shape and form, Kaepernick did this to protest the murdering of black people in America by the cops. And having it be associated with a shoe campaign, does that cheapen it? You, you know what i'm saying is is, is our pain yeah. being is our pain being commodified you know what i mean it's like it's it's and so i'm not saying that i that that i'm against the 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 nike partnership but when you look at it that way it's yeah. like damn you know that's those are these interesting questions that we really don't think about you know what i mean it's it's like it's like if if you're talking about black people getting murdered and it turns into a fashion statement right. i don't know what do you do with that you know
1: well well, that's like the whole plot of my film. I mean to bring it to I don't live today I mean that's a major plot in my film because I do believe it cheapens it because Absolutely. the thing about the thing about um any kind of social protest is you can't only advocate for one thing I mean Nike got a, Nike has an open civil case about uh wage discrimination with women, right exactly. Now. And and they're one of the top four or five worst-ranked uh, companies when it comes to sweatshop sweatshop labor. So it's just like that's compartmentalizing your cause for only a single thing. So when you go to, say, women and be like, yo, join our cause for this, they're going to be like, how about you not not fuck with Nike right now and, <laughs> and support yeah. us as we're trying to, you know, get them to pay us better wages in this class action suit. So... It, 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 and I Don't Live Today is about, you know, it's about visual art and about this artist who's trying to find a way to kind of have integrity. And that was a lot with what Spit was about, too, to find a way to have integrity in a, in a world that's constantly trying to get you to compromise your integrity. And it's interesting, you know, Kaepernick's a young, a young I always have to remember that Kaepernick's a young dude right? And a lot of this stuff is new to him. I mean, come on, just five, six years ago, Kaepernick was, you know, Kaepernicking, you know, in the, in the <laughs> yeah. end zone and all that. It, it was yeah. just, it was just elbows, you know what I'm saying? So he kind of came to love a lot of this stuff new. So he probably hasn't been able to really think this through to a certain degree, you know? So, yeah. you know, but that's kind of where I'm dealing with, and I don't live today, this idea of our expression, black expression in the market and our relationship to the market. And I think a lot of times black people have this idea that um, we are the, we are ourselves and it doesn't matter. So we have to just express ourselves, but we're not just individuals. We're part of a whole ecosystem and capitalism can make money on anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I saw pictures of like some white girl wearing a shirt that that was a a picture of like the Middle Passage. It was like a slave ship, and it's like it's like a yeah. fashion thing. It's like word, you know. I I saw your description on on I don't live today, where you're saying that um it touches on a lot of these things. And one of the things you said that and and, and not to give away anything in the film, you said that it kind of touched yeah. on some stuff with the Me Too movement. And I'm wondering, as black men and as black artists, where do you think? Um, our responsibility as black artists, black men as artists, what do you think our responsibility is to kind of help further the causes of stuff like Me Too where where women um, and a lot of women of color have, have dealt with a lot of shit that, that we kind of got to come back and, and support them? Like, you know, hate to keep going back to sports, but like it's, it's such a prevalent thing where you can look at the Australian newspaper that paints Serena as some kind of 1920s caricature you know what I'm saying, like the step and fetch yeah. it, the the Jay Z big lips and shit like that. You know what I'm saying, like yeah. so touching on like I guess you know you're saying you touched on the Me Too stuff in the film. Like, where do you think black men in art? Where where do you think we kind of lie to kind of be able to assist the cause?
1: Well, I, I'll put it. I'll say two things. I mean, the the I I look through everything through a certain kind of lens, and to me, the, the Me Too is about exploitation right? Mm-hmm. They're exploiting these women, right? Like sexual assault is an, is an exploitive thing to try to get them to do something for you, you exploit their body, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if if you care about the exploitation of humans, you have to care about the exploitation of women, right? And the abuse of women. There's no way, mm-hmm. there's no way you can't, you, you you can care about it on one hand and not care about it on the other. Um, so that's, that's, that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, Me Too just wasn't women. You had Terry Crews in it, man. Exactly, you know yeah. You had Terry Crews in it. You The, the reason why I, I... It's funny because, like, not to, like, pull out names, but, like, the whole Kevin Spacey part of it, yo, I, I had her... I'm an actor. We knew about Kevin Spacey about 15, 16 years ago. This is not a wow. new... This, this is a new story for the general public. You know what I'm saying? For <laughs> actors that ain't new. Kevin Spacey yeah. doing inappropriate stuff to young men. Ah, man, this was general stories, man. Mm -hmm. Like, so when I, what it's funny, when it came out, I kind of chuckled in a weird way because I was like, this is crazy. But then also, like, 15, 16 years ago, we kind of laughed it off as Mm -hmm. like a thing, as like, oh, he's just a weird old dude. But then you realize, oh, snap, you know, this is crazy. And, you know, what I, what I said, kind of like the untold stuff is like, there's a whole other aspect that's been talked about of the sexually. Uh, assault of young of young men and, and yeah. in 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 Hollywood and I talked directly about that in the film so i think black men need to understand or and men in general need to understand that we hold just as much weight by dealing with people who we know who are perpetrators but also dealing with people who are ignoring who are also victims you know what yeah. i'm saying and and but also it's just exploitation man like I care about exploitation and getting rid of it in any way. So if I care about it on a, cause like the Harvey Weinstein thing, I always tell people like Harvey Weinstein was okay when he was exploiting filmmakers, right? When yeah, he was being, yeah. a, when being a, when being a total tyrant to filmmakers and he was okay. Cause you know, they said he got it done, but then we found out that he was also a rapist. It was like, Oh, well then he's really bad. And I'm saying, nah, man, Weinstein was never okay. Right. Matter of fact, the fact that y'all like bigs him up for being a bulldog in the boardroom and exploiting filmmakers but getting stuff up, let, let him believe he can exploit people in other ways. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So we yeah. have to be not down for exploitation on any tip. But I'll be yeah, quiet. I don't know if Chris wants to add anything. I, I, I've been talking about <laughs> a lot. No, no,
2: no, man. You, you hit it right on the money, man. That's what really um, you know, made me want to get involved with this project. Um, because, you know, I have friends also who have been, um, you know, victims of that type of stuff, man, where like, you know, there were kids and like older women, you know, took advantage of them and they just never said anything, you know, and they would come, you know, they would come out later, you know, and tell me, you know what I'm saying? And it's like us as men, you know, we deal with these things, but it's hard for us to come out. And as you see with Terry Crews, how really nothing happened. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Now it, 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 it's like yeah. it's like he's being blackballed, man. You know, I think he's not even gonna be in the new almost numbers movie because of that. And he's like mm-hmm. not getting any roles now, you know what I'm saying? So it just seems like it's it's this unfair, it's it's not balanced, you know, when it comes yeah, it's, you know, to men. Yeah.
0: It's also like especially it's unbalanced when it's like uh black people being uh, black men being associated with toxic masculinity because so you got Terry Cruz is an ex NFL player, big mm-hmm. as fuck. Right. Yeah, and so like there's this ideal of oh well he couldn't just you know he couldn't just take one for the team and shut the fuck up and like who you know how well, is he well, being? Oh, well, I, you I know, knocked
1: that dude out. How come he ain't knocked him out? If that was in front they, of they, my they, wife, I'd knock him out. Terry Crews is a punk. Like what? what like come and, on, and, that's a and reaction.
0: And look <laughs> at the other end of those optics because if if he hits. A uh, 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 a film producer, or somebody in Hollywood, it could be seen as gay bashing. It could be seen as being, you right. know, what I'm saying. And like right. so, so he's in a kind of a difficult situation where you, situation. you know, yeah, like you can't, you don't. What do it's you impossible. do? With that? Yeah. It's, it's impossible. Yeah,
1: it's impossible. He can't do anything. It's, a, it's and it's exploitation. The guy, mm-hmm. the guy was powerful. He knew he's like, here's a big black man, and the first thing about a big black man is what they're violent. Right, they're reactive. So he does something. He hits this guy. Oh, Terry Cruz assaulted me in a, in a in a in a and I was just, I was just patting him on the shoulder. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, come on, man. He knew the guy knew what he was doing. And it's it's right. the same thing. It's just exploitation. You know what I'm saying? So, like I said, man, the women are being exploited. You got to be there. So because we are also exploited, a lot of us, right? So if yeah. you can, if you want them to care about our exploitation, you must care about theirs and vice versa.
0: Right. and and vice versa. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny like I was having a conversation with my friend the other week and um we were talking about like man a lot of this shit with hip hop culture doesn't age very well. Like like pull out you know the chronic pull out doggy style pull out scarface's first album <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you know what i'm saying like like yeah. this is the shit that i grew up on you know that i know all the yeah. words to and and none of that shit aged well at all you know what i mean like no. like no. snoop dogg it ain't no fun unless the homies have none you know what i'm saying like stuff oh, like that man, like, no. that's terrible <laughs> you, you know what i'm saying like a lot of that stuff really didn't age very well and so no. you know so to so being self-reflective on on shit, man, was I was I perpetuating this type of culture, that type of stuff, you know what I mean? Like those are things that 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 makes me more aware and more aware of the type of art that I put out there. So so yeah, right. I, I think um I think that's the other thing too, is like I, I think that what's going on now, it's more important for us to be able to tell our own stories. Because the worst thing that can happen is have somebody else document your pain and your struggle. You know what I mean? Like what's the Zora Neale, the Zora Neale Hurston quote that says if you're quiet about your pain you'll die and they say you enjoyed it when you when you was like receiving it you know what I mean yeah. it's like yeah it's a great I, quote I know that I, one yeah so I'm wondering like the the <laughs> the stuff where you're talking about the stories with Kevin Kevin Spacey. Um, Using the the sequel to Carlitos' way, is there any Diddy stories you can offer? Not him being inappropriate or nothing, but if you got it, you know you can tell me that too. But like, is there any stories about some of these people that you've met, like kind of like in your dealings with the with with film and movies that that I don't know would be kind of interesting for the people listening?
1: I mean, nothing like nothing specific that I can go off my head. I mean, what I'll, I'll say it's like this. The interesting thing is to see i guess and I guess this is a good thing um is like I said, when I was a young actor um like I'll give you for instance I was in a film um when i when I, when I was a teenager right and um one of my first films, and I went to a party I was underage right, and mm. there was a lot of inappropriate behavior with underage actors. Lots of mm. alcohol and drugs everywhere. And I won't, I, won't, I won't say names or nothing like that, but it was inappropriate. And this is the 90s. And, yeah. you know, I knew a lot of young actors in New York who are famous people now, who just, you know, lived these kind of lives that were, you know, they were being taken advantage of people who were much older than them. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the thing about it is back then it was seen as a thing, Right, it wasn't necessarily seen negatively. It was just seen as kind of like a feature, yeah. it's like <laughs> of, the, of, the, Drew, of, the
0: Drew Barrymore stories and stuff like that.
1: Right, it's just a feature of the business, yeah. and and hopefully, you know, the the, 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 the the you know you you'll you'll have some cuts and bruises, and you'll be harassed a few times, but you'll get out of it. Yeah. Or or the <laughs> idea,
0: or the idea is a trade off of being a uh, the potential rich celebrity. That's just a part yeah. of. You know, it's part of your testimony. You know what I mean?
1: Right. But then you see what happens with people like Corey Haim, and he yeah. dies, you know, really young, and you realize, yo, that's actually not cool. And I think that's what ended up happening was you began to see that all these, when the 2000s hit, people start dying, their careers aren't going well, their lives aren't going well, and they begin going, yo, this is, that, that was actually a really bad to accept this right as a, as a as a as a as a feature of this, this, this society so yeah like you would walk into a set and you know some actors around they tell you don't 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 hang out with that dude yeah you know what I'm saying? or some or some actor like calls you at 2 a.m he's like yo let's go hang out and i'm like man no nah, i'm good because I, I know you <laughs> yeah. like cocaine too much you know what i'm saying yeah. so it, it, it it's like Sifting through a cesspool, I, as, a, as, a, as a young black kid, I think, because I, I, was, I was from, you know, the hood, I was already paranoid, so I was like, man, please, you know, I, I think I always feared everything from jail to, you know, just messing up, so I just didn't do anything. I kept myself out of trouble, mm-hmm. but that's where these stories come from because, you know, you see it, and you see how people get ruined, you know, through all this stuff.
0: yeah. So I'm wondering when, if you get the money you're looking for, when do you think the film would be done? Like, you know, in your mind you think this would be done by end of 2019 or or 2020? What do you have in mind?
1: We're aiming to shoot it in, I mean, our our, our plan is to shoot it in spring of 2019. So we, we, we have things, we have this money, we have some other money we're raising in other ways. So spring of 2019 in New York City is our shoot. Go and Um, you know, editing processes are, you know, they take time and then, you know, uh, film festivals. So as early as the end of 2019 and as probably as late as the beginning of 2019, uh, 2020 would be the release of it. Yeah.
0: Word. So uh, how difficult is it to get like permits and shit to shoot in New York? Is that like a headache? Uh,
1: I mean... It's a process. I mean, Chris, you could tell them about like just permits in general. Produce. I mean, because like I mean, how many
0: how many times you see people like shooting movies that are supposed to be in New York, but they go to like Canada <laughs> or well, Atlanta because well, it's cheaper. A, a lot has to
1: do with money. Well, you know what though? Um, New York is actually easier to shoot in now. There was a time mm-hmm. where it was really hard to shoot in New York,
2: so they would couple to places like North Carolina. I know Chris mm-hmm. knows that. Yeah, back in yeah, the days. Yeah, yeah, back in the day, you know, North Carolina used to be real big, man. It's not anymore. We've Pretty well, much lost everything for Georgia. <laughs> you know, like everything. Oh, yeah, like yeah. Now a lot of stuff that you see that they see is New York actually in Atlanta now. You know what I'm saying? But, um, yeah. but yeah, man. So, but the type of filmmaking we're doing, man, you know, the whole guerrilla style independent thing.
0: Absolutely. You know,
2: <laughs> you, know yeah. you know, you could do permits here and there, but man, it's pretty <laughs> simple, man. <laughs> yeah, shoot. You know, some film shoots, man, we'd say, you know, you know, forget the permit. You know, we just shooting.
1: Yeah.
2: But you know, yeah. what I'm but you know, with other projects, man, you know, you have standard protocol, man. of just, you know, getting the regular permit. It's pretty simple in North Carolina, and I think Yo, it's pretty yeah. simple in South Carolina as well. I mean, I'm saying, bring business bring y'all asses stuff. out here, man. Come out, come out to South Carolina. <laughs> <It's shooting. laughs> yeah. New York, nah, you know, it's a, it's a New York, it's a New, York it's a New York film. This is New York film, man. So yeah, you oh, got fair to enough. NYC, fair but enough. I know, you know, y'all got a pretty good festival. You know, indie grits down in yeah, um, yeah. Columbia. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You know, once the film is done, man, you know we definitely bring it down, so.
0: I mean, I think we need to get Wilmington in it. You know, the other thing I was going to tell you, too, is that have you ever heard of the Black Star Festival in Philadelphia?
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's too many shows. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, those too many people, man. screen a couple of his joints. Yeah. Today. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's dope to get it is I mean, is that the only black film festival that we have in in the country that we know?
2: Is anything? Oh no, going? no, we, we All got a couple of joints, man. We got a, uh, you know, you got Black Star. You know, you got to join in Wilmington, the North Carolina Black Film Festival.
0: You got a b f f oh, Okay, yeah. I know about ABFS. Okay, yeah, Urban Worlds. Yeah, what's going on now? It's about Urban
2: yeah. up.
1: Urban World is actually happening. I think ended. It, it ended right. today. Right. Oh wow. Right. Well, where's that? Yeah. Where's
0: that going? Where's that one located? In New York, yeah,
1: New York, okay. Okay. yeah. Pan African Film Festival out mm-hmm. in LA. There's actually a lot of Black Film Festivals now. Right. Like, so there's there's, there's Martha's Vineyard African American right. Film Festival. There's a there's a lot there's a lot of film festivals now. Period. Period. But there's a lot of Black Film Festivals. There's, there's one in Austin. I, I know about a couple in Georgia. Yeah, there's a Perry, lot. Indiana. So yeah. yeah. No. The the network has really grown when it comes to San Francisco Black Film Festival. I screened there a couple of times. That's an old school one. They've been around for a really long time.
0: Shit, you You technically just send that shit to all black film festivals and call it a day, right?
1: (laughs) I mean, totally. I mean, totally, yeah. You know, um, um, same time, you know... Cinema is real. Is real. Diverse, is real. I don't say diverse. Absolutely, like that yeah. I was,
0: I was being facetious, it's real,
1: but, yeah. but also it's real. Like some, some. I mean, I'll keep it one hundred. Some black film festivals don't want to play certain types of films. You know, they have their own politics too. You know, certain and it's, you know, so it, it gets very interesting. And I, I know Chris knows this as well as I do. Um, uh, every film fest, film festivals are like uh, an institution. Right. So every institution has their their narrative, right? right. They have their curriculum <laughs> they right. want to keep keep out. So, you know, if we'll on fire, does it fit in with their curriculum? Right. Eek, they're not gonna show it. You know, like I had like Whiteface for instance. Whiteface, you know, you would think that'd be a natural fit in every black film festival, but it wasn't. You know, wow. some black film festivals were like, Oh hell yeah and they was like, No, nah, we good. You know, and then, I, and then like, wow. and then I, I, prem, it, I premiered at a very, very, very white film festival, which you would could be a white film festival in Ashland, Oregon. So it's film is weird. You have to deal with people. Like, it's not just race. You know, you have people, I, if they're conservative, if they're liberal,
2: right. A lot of
1: black conservatives out there, man, right. who don't want right. to do certain things,
2: right. And, and th- another thing is too, man, is that you know, like my whole mindset always has been because I actually work with with a film festival. I work at the Full Frame, and we're like one of the top um, documentary film festivals in the world. But and you know, I tell filmmakers all the time, man, you know, you know, the festival circuit is cool. You know, if you get into a festival, it's cool. If if not, that's cool too. You know, build your audience. You know, what I'm saying that's what I'm yeah. about. And like like I told you, uh, I'm on fire. We premiered at Kukaloris November 2015. We still we still um selling out screeners to this day, man. Um, you know I got yeah. a couple coming up in a couple of weeks, all the way, and we're still booking screenings all the way up still to like March of 2019. So man, if you it, build man. an audience, yeah, you know. What I'm saying? So if you build your audience, man, you know that's what I've always been about, and that's why I always encourage you know filmmakers is build your audience and go directly to them. And the person I learned from who's <clears throat> done it well was Tariq Nasheed, um the guy that did Hidden Colors, that does the word, Hidden Colors Because, man, he doesn't do the festival circuit at all. You know, he just puts out his joints and, like, every time he drops his DVDs, they're, like, the best sellers on Amazon for, like, months. You know what I'm saying? And he just, he's killing it.
0: Man, that's dope. We need to we need to bring you to Columbia, man. I got it. I have the perfect spot. Just let me know, um, right. you know, what times you want to bring it out here and we can work it out with our schedules, but we'll talk about that yep. off air. Um, I think, I think we covered a lot of stuff and is there anything else you, you want us to touch? Anything else I'm forgetting?
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, uh, check out the campaign for, you know, I don't live today. Um We go into uh, October 17th um, for our campaign on Stephen Spark. Check it out, you know, follow the campaign on the Steven Spark page. Um, if you check if you wanna curious about more of my work, Spit and Whiteface are both available um to view and stream. If you'd like, all right, well, I wanna give some money, but I've never seen this person's work. So actually we're we're about to do a Facebook live yep. viewing of both the films this, this Thursday. Reason. So go to our go to our I Don't Live Today page on Facebook for more on, on, of the info tomorrow. We'll have it. Well actually when this when this podcast goes up, the info will be up.
0: That's perfect Text me all the information and I'll put it in the The podcast subscription And all that good shit But um but yeah, brothers, I don't want to hold y'all up, man. Thank y'all so much for this. I'm going to get the editing and all that good stuff and have this shit out on <laughs> Monday. But um, if y'all need any help sure. with anything, please let me know. Once again, we'll have the link um, that you guys that's listening right now, you can check the link out into the, the the Apple podcast link, and we'll have the links for you to be able to donate to the cause. Please, please support black filmmakers, black stories, and black folks telling their stories. This is so fucking important. And... Um, I think that's it, man. Y'all got your your Instagram and Twitter handles. You want to leave for the people?
2: Yeah, man. I'll follow um, all the I Don't Live Today um, Instagram. You know all our social media stuff, and all of them are at IDLT Film. IDLT right. Film. All three Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IDLT Film. So, right.
0: Well, that's it, man. I appreciate you guys listening. This is the Negro League Podcast. So go by the name of Priest Jacobs. Thank you all for listening. Peace. Well, I Peace. love y'all. Peace.